What a wonderful day it has been to see someone added to the kingdom of God. May God bless James, our new brother, who's now a child of God. Just a wonderful thing to see someone become a Christian, to be born again. We give the glory to God. And I'm just so thankful that we were able to witness that and that we could celebrate with the angels in heaven concerning a new birth of a, of a child of God. Will you get your Bible out with me this morning? Let's dig into some Bible. And let's start with the book of Exodus. Will you go with me in your Bible to Exodus chapter 16? Let's read some Bible this morning. We're going to dig into the text in Exodus chapter 16. After God led Israel out of Egypt and brought them miraculously across the Red Sea. In Exodus 16 and verse 1, it says, And they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt? When we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You brought us out here to kill us with hunger. We had it better in Egypt. Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus 17, after they spent some time camping at Rephidim, the people began to complain about water. They wanted some water. They were thirsty. And in the middle of verse 2, Moses said, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up, brought us from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Look at Numbers now. This is a text that Brother Brian read from this morning. I want to go back there again, if you don't mind, to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers 11 and verse 1. The Bible says, now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Tabarah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember. We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlics, but now our appetite is gone. And there's nothing all to look at except this, this manna, except this bread that God has miraculously been feeding us from heaven. Go to Numbers chapter 14. Remember, once the children of Israel reached the very border of the promised land, Moses sends 12 spies into the land to see what it's like. And two of those spies come back saying that we can take the land. The Lord will be with us. That's Joshua and Caleb. But 10 of those spies said, no, we can't conquer these people. They're too big, too strong. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. And after hearing those 10 spies in Numbers 14, verse 1, the Bible says, that all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, What that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or what that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones 
will become plunder, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. You want some New Testament now? Go to Acts chapter 7. Go back to Acts chapter 7. I want to look at one verse from our scripture reading this morning. As Stephen gives this great sermon to the Sanhedrin Council about Israel's constant rejection of God and his messengers, he talks about the time when Israel rejected Moses. And in Acts 7, in verse number 39, he says, Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him. And in their hearts, in their hearts, turn back to Egypt. Can you believe this? Can you believe that these verses are even found in the Bible? I don't know about you, but I have a hard time believing that these verses are even found in the Bible. I don't know about you, but it is hard for me to believe that Israel really ever wanted to do this. It is hard for me to believe that the people of God, the people of Israel, they really ever considered going back to Egypt? They, they really wanted to go back to Egypt? I mean, do they not understand what they're, what they're asking there? They want to go back to, to Egypt. I don't care how good the meat was in Egypt. I don't care how good the, the cucumbers were and the leeks were and the melons and the onions and, and the garlic were. I don't care how tired they might have been on their journey or how hot it was or even how much their children and their grandchildren may have been crying and griping and complaining along the way. I don't care what they may have been going through at this time. Nothing they were going through, nothing they were experiencing should have ever resulted in them wanting to return to Egypt. I mean, how in the world could these people ever want to return to Egypt? Do they not remember what life in Egypt was like? Do they not remember how in Egypt they were slaves? They were in bondage? They were in misery. They were under the oppressive hand of a heathen nation. That's what the Bible tells us when the book of Exodus opens up. Remember after the death of, of the patriarch Joseph and before the coming of Moses. When the book of Exodus opens up, the Bible says that in Egypt, the Israelites had to labor vigorously night and day building storage cities. They had taskmasters over them who worked them seven days a week in the hot, scorching sun. They couldn't just go anywhere if they pleased. They didn't have freedom. They didn't have prosperity. There was even a time when the king of Egypt was trying to murder all of their newborn male children. These people, the people of Israel, they experienced absolute horror during their time in Egypt. But God, the scripture says, God delivered them. God rescue them. God heard their prayers. He heard their cries and he raised up a deliverer named Moses. 
and he brought plagues upon their oppressors, and he brought them miraculously across the Red Sea, even to the very border of the Promised Land. After spending hundreds and hundreds of years in slavery, the Israelites are now free. They are a free people. They are no longer slaves under a mighty oppressor. God has liberated them from that oppression, and yet, whenever problems start coming their way, whenever they get hungry, whenever they get thirsty, whenever they are discouraged or discontent or worried or they're afraid of some challenge before them, what do they want to do? Well, they want to go back to, they want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to Egypt, even though being in Egypt meant going back to slavery. They want to go back to Egypt, even though that meant going back to slavery. And they want to go back to Egypt, even though the current path God was taking them on was to a better place. God was taking them to a, a better place, unlike the place of slavery and bondage and misery and horror that they had left from, God was taking them to paradise. God was taking them to Canaan. God was taking them to a land that he himself had promised them. He promised them this as early as Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis, the 12th chapter, when speaking to their forefather, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 1, Abraham is going by Abram at this time. And the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and, and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed in verse number seven. In verse 7, it says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, to your descendants, I will give this land. Here in these verses, we find what are commonly referred to as the three promises to Abraham. Are you familiar with the three promises to Abraham? I know our, our, our high school young people should definitely be familiar with the three promises to Abraham. I mean, last quarter, we spent a lot of time really drilling home what those three promises were all about. We made the point in our Bible class, remember how the whole Bible story is really about God fulfilling these three promises. It starts in verse number two. In verse two, God promised that through Abraham, he was going to build a great nation. That's the nation of Israel. And then in verse three, through that nation was going to come somebody into the world that was going to bless all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth. That's a reference to Jesus. And then in verse number seven, before Jesus came, before the Messiah would come into the world, well, God says that this nation, the nation of Israel, would receive a great and prosperous land. That's the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. God promised here in Genesis 12 to give Abraham's descendants, the Hebrew people, the land of Canaan. And after allowing them to build into a great nation while being slaves for hundreds and hundreds of years in Egypt, well, when we get to Exodus chapter 3, God is ready to fulfill that promise. 
And so we go to Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3, by this time, Israel has become a great and mighty nation. They have multiplied greatly while being slaves in Egypt. And God speaks to Moses. He's calling Moses to go and deliver his people. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse number 7, he says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their sufferings. Let's just stop like right there for a side note. For a side note, let's just make the point that just like God was aware of his, the sufferings of his people in Egypt, if you're suffering in your life right now, if you're going through problems, if you're going through anxieties, if you have a lot of stress in your life, God's aware of your situation too. God's aware of the sufferings of his people today. Just like he was aware of the sufferings of his people in the time of Moses. Verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Notice how God, notice how God describes this, this place he was, he was bringing them to. Notice how God describes the land of Canaan. He describes it as a good land. He, he says it is good. He says it is spacious and, and it has enough room for, for all of them. He, he says it is a land that flows with, with milk and honey. That means that it's a very fruitful and prosperous land. He says it is a place where many heathen nations are living now, but he was going to kick those nations out. He was going to evict those nations. He was going to remove those nations from the land and give that land to his people. No longer would Israel be slaves. No longer would they be in bondage. No longer would they have to walk around afraid and have to ask permission from the Egyptians to go here and to go there. No longer would they have to live in a land as foreigners and strangers, and that land wasn't theirs, and it was, and it, it was never going to be theirs. No, sir, and no, ma'am. God said, God says he was bringing them into Canaan. God says that he was bringing them into a very prosperous and blessed land where they wouldn't have to be slaves, but they would be free. They would be free and they would be blessed. And how in the world could these people want to go back to Egypt and, and these things awaited them? Uh, how in the world would they not be willing to endure whatever problems came their way when the reward God had awaiting them was going to be so great? Israel wanted to go back to Egypt. Even though that meant going back to slavery. And even though they were currently traveling to a better place and they also wanted to go back to Egypt, even though that meant rejecting God's provisions. Even though that meant rejecting God's great provisions. We just spent some time talking about how God brought Israel out of Egypt to take them to the land of Canaan or the promised land, but let's not sugarcoat 
how this journey was going to be. Let's not sugarcoat how difficult this journey was going to be. Let's not act as though it was going to be smooth and, and free from rigors and problems. No, this journey was, was going to be tough. It was going to be rigorous. It was going to be difficult. This journey to the promised land was not going to be easy at all. For those of you who have moved many times in your life before, you know, you know that that moving is tough, isn't it? M moving is hard. It was hard when Gigi and I, just as a couple, had to move from Southeast Texas to Central Florida 13 years ago. And it was hard when we had a two-year-old son and we had to move from Central Florida to Middle Tennessee five years after that. And it was really hard when we had a two-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son and we had to move from Middle Tennessee to a place we had never been before, the valley here in, in Phoenix six and a half years after that. I mean, we had to pack, we had to pack everybody's stuff, got to pack my stuff. Got to pack Gigi's stuff, got to pack Shawn Michaels stuff, got to pack all of Faith's stuff. We got to get a realtor. We got to sell our house. We got to have showings. We got to buy a new house. We got to hire movers and hope and pray they can get our stuff here in one piece without, without tearing it all up. We also got to load up our car. And we got to drive across West Texas and, and New Mexico and hope we don't fall asleep because there's nothing to see through there. And on top of all of that... On top of all of that, when we get here, we got to unpack the boxes and rearrange the furniture and get everything that we want to get it. And we got to load the kids up uh, and put them in school, get them registered for school, meet new people. You know, moving is hard. Moving is tough. And it, it probably was especially tough for two million people who are picking themselves up and leaving the only home they had ever known, which was in Egypt, to go to a place that none of them had ever even seen before. You got two million people, mothers, fathers, grandparents, children, grandchildren, making their way to Egypt. And keep in mind, this is during a time when you don't have cars. You don't got moving companies. You don't got fast food restaurants, McDonald's, Wendy's, and Sonic to stop back and get a bite to eat. You don't have a GPS to tell you where you're going. These people don't have any of these luxuries that we have when we move today, but they did have God. They had God. God was with them. God was watching over them. God was protecting them. When they reached the Red Sea and the Egyptians were pursuing them to bring them back to slavery, God miraculously parted that Red Sea and brought them across onto dry land. When they were hungry, God miraculously gave them food from heaven. When they were thirsty, God miraculously gave them water from a rock. When they needed direction, God led them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. God made all kinds of great provisions for these people. And yet when they get to the very border of the promised land and they learn about the size of the people and how the Canaanites are great warriors that are giants. Well, they're so afraid they want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to slavery. They want to go back to bondage. They seem to believe that God had brought them that far just to desert them and let them die 
on the border of the promised land. Israel. They wanted to return to Egypt. That was the attitude that they really carried with them all throughout that journey. And here's my question. Here's my question this morning. What would you have done if you had been with them? What would you have done if you had been in their sandals? Would you also have wanted to go back to Egypt? Would you also have wanted to go back to bondage and misery and slavery? I think that is an appropriate question for us to think about as we get ready to wrap up this year. Because guess what? This year and last year and the year before that and every year we have been blessed to be part of spiritual Israel, which is the church. You know, what we've been on we've been on a journey. We've been on a journey together. We've been on a journey with God. We've been on a similar journey as the nation of Israel. You see, like the nation of Israel, we also have left bondage. We've left slavery. We've been delivered by God from an oppressor and a cruel master. The Apostle Paul wants us to understand that in Romans chapter 6. Will you go into the Bible, please? The Romans chapter 6. Remember, in Romans 6, we find Paul's famous chapter about life after baptism. In verse 4 of Romans 6, he says, when we're baptized, we're raised to walk in newness of life. In, in, in verse number 6 of the chapter, he says that when we're baptized, we crucify the old self, the sinful self, and we become alive with Jesus Christ. In verse number 14, in verse 14 of Romans 6, he goes on to say that after you are baptized or when you're baptized for sin, should I have master over you? For you're not under the law. You're not under the Old Testament law of Moses that the Israelites were under in the time of Moses. You're not under law, but you're under grace, the system of grace in Jesus Christ. What then? Shall we sin because we're not, not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were, you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed, for the outcome of these things is death. But now have been free from sin, and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification of the outcome eternal life, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice how Paul says that before we became Christians, before we were baptized, and raised to walk in newness of life, we had a master over us. We had an oppressive and cruel master 
Paul says that our master before we became Christians was sin. Sin was our master. Let me tell you something. The Pharaoh of Egypt in the time of Moses may have been a cruel and oppressive slave master, but he has nothing on the slave master of sin. My dear friend, sin is much more oppressive and cruel than the Pharaoh of Egypt because under its rule leads to death. It leads to spiritual death. It leads to a life of emptiness and guilt and shame and misery and unrighteousness and us being cut off from having any kind of relationship with God. When we are under sin, when we're under its rule, we are under the most oppressive and cruelest slave master there is. And why in the world will we ever want to go back to that? Why in the world would we ever want to be under the cruel and oppressive master of sin, especially when you think about how Jesus has delivered us from that master through his blood on the cross? I don't care how much fun the world offers us. I don't care how much sexual pleasure we may get from being in that immoral relationship. I don't care how popular we might become or how rich we might become or how even how shackled we might feel right now because we are following the guidelines of the Bible. I don't care what we may gripe and complain about today. Nothing we gripe and complain about is worth going back to being under the shackles of sin. None of that is worth going back to a master that brings guilt and shame and emptiness and spiritual consequences that include a complete severance from God and spiritual death. Just like Israel, guess what? We've been delivered from slavery. We've been delivered from a cruel and oppressive master and it was sin. And just like Israel, we're also going to a better place. Right now, we're on this journey together, and we're going to a better place. We're going to the promised land, except our promised land is not found on the other side of the world. Instead, it is found in heaven. It is found in the very presence of God. Paul talks about that in Philippians 3 and verse 20, when he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly await a Savior, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul says our citizenship, our true home is in heaven. Will you go to Revelation with me? Because the Bible talks about our home more in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 7. In Revelation chapter 7 and in verse number 16. When talking about our promised land, it says there in Revelation 7 and verse 16, they were no longer they will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Look at chapter 21. Let's add chapter 21 to that, where the Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse 1, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself, notice that, God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Notice how the Bible describes our Canaan. Notice how the Bible describes our promised land. According to the Bible, our Canaan is a much better destination than the physical land of Israel or any other place on this planet. You see, unlike anything you may find on this planet where we're going, where we're going right now, it's a place where you're not going to have any problems. You're not going to have any problems. No tears. No mourning. No death. No having to say goodbye to the people that you love. No pain in your body. No cancer. No arthritis. No high blood pressure. No bills. No high gas prices, no inflation, no sin, no devil, no temptation, none of that stuff. None of that stuff is found in the place where we are going. Unlike what you find anywhere on this earth where we are going is perfect. It is spiritual. It is heaven. It is a place where we're going to be in the very presence of God and his son, Jesus Christ. It is the place where we're going to be with them forever. And they're going to forever comfort us and make sure that we have all of our spiritual needs supplied. Like Israel, we've been delivered from slavery. And we're headed to a better place and let me also say that while we take this journey, like Israel, we receive great provisions from God. Great provisions from God. And we need those great provisions from God because you and I both know that this journey we're on right now, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy. It's hard. Let's just be honest about it. It is tough. There are trials on this journey. As we make our way from earth to heaven, there are times when we face temptations, right? There are times when we face setbacks. There are times when we face spiritual setbacks. There are times when the world is ugly to us and rude to us. and They persecute us because of the things that we believe. There are even times when we get discouraged and we hurt and we cry and we're angry and we're frustrated and we may even feel like giving up. There are all kinds of hardships on this journey that we're taking to Canaan. But thankfully, in addition to the sinless and precious blood of Jesus Christ that gives us access to a relationship with God, God's also given us his word. Thankfully, God has given us his word. Thankfully, God has given us his word to be a lamp to our feet, and a light to our path. Thankfully, God has given us his word to guide us and navigate us and counsel us and lead us to live a life that helps us avoid wandering in the wilderness of sin. Thankfully, God has given us his word and thankfully, God has given us prayer. 
Thankfully, as we travel on this on this journey, we can talk to God at any time we desire. We can pour our hearts out to God. We can access God's providential power in our lives. Thank God he's given us prayer and thank God that he's given us each other. Thank God that as we travel to Canaan, we don't have to travel alone, but we can go together. We can travel as a family. We can have companions on this journey. The Hebrew writer talks about this. When you go to Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews, the third chapter, as the Hebrew writer warns us to avoid being like Israel and the days of Moses and missing our rest in heaven. He says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 12, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Notice how contrary to what Calvinism suggests, religious teachers, many religious teachers suggest, we can fall away. You see that, right? We can fall away from the living God. We can wander away from the right path that leads to heaven. That can happen to me, and that can happen to you in, in an effort to help us not fall into that trap. Well, God has given us some help. The Hebrew writer says that God has given us brethren. He's given us a spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ. When a brother gets discouraged on the journey, we got to encourage them. We got to comfort them. We got to build them up. When a brother gets weak, we got to help him get strong. When a sister starts lagging behind and starts getting influenced by the deceitfulness of sin, we got to help her stay focused and on the path God wants her to be on. Like Israel, we also receive great provisions from God to help us on our journey. The question, though, is, are we going to stay the course? Are we going to continue trusting God and having faith in his word and leaning on each other? Or, like Israel, are we going to desire to go back? Are we going to desire to go back to Egypt? Are we going to desire to go back to slavery and bondage? I submit that as ridiculous as the option of going back to slavery and bondage might be in 2021 in this church and in churches across the country and across the globe, so many Christians made that choice. So many Christians made the choice to go back to Egypt this year. Now, they were with us this time last year. Some of them may even have been sitting next to you this time last year, but at some point in 2021, for whatever reason, you know what happened to them? They went back to Egypt. They went back to slavery and bondage. And so we go to one more verse, Hebrews 3, verse 14, where he goes on to say, for if we have become partakers of Christ, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. You see, we're going to avoid making the mistake that Israel made in the time of Moses. And the Hebrew writer says we've got to stay the course. We've got to finish the journey. We've got to hold fast. 
through our trust in Jesus Christ firm to the end. We got to do that because turning back can never be an option. It can never be an option for us in the coming year or in the year after that or in any year that God blesses us to live on this earth. We can never go back to Egypt because we're headed to glory. We're headed to glory with Jesus Christ. We're headed to a place where Jesus reigns at the right hand of God. We can't ever, ever even desire to go back to Egypt. And so, as we get ready to head into the new year, Lord willing, I want to close by asking you this. Where are you right now spiritually? Where are you spiritually? Have you turned back? Is there anyone here this morning that's turned back to Egypt? Is there anyone here this morning who's even in their heart? You may be in the pew right now, but maybe in your heart, you have turned back to Egypt. If that describes you this morning, then I can't think of a better way to end 2021 than to get back on the right track and start going to Canaan again. Repent. Ask God to forgive you. Commit yourself to staying focused on the journey before you, or if there's someone here and you've never even started the journey, like our new brother, Brother James, did this morning. You can start your journey right here and right now by believing in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, and being baptized because he commands you to be baptized for the remission of your sins. If there's anyone here this morning who needs help spiritually on this spiritual journey, come to the front right now and we'll help you. Let's stand. Let's sing.